0: Thanks for tuning in to the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more information, you can go to woodsedge.org or look us up on Facebook under Woods Edge Students. The vision of this church is that everybody makes disciples. If you're part of this church, you need to be a disciple. You need to make disciples. Do not come here as a tourist, as a I like the music kind of mentality. You're here to work, to work for the king, to advance the kingdom. We are here to be discipled and make disciples. Who are you sharing Jesus with? Who are you praying for? Who are you talking to about the word? We all need somebody, if not three or 12 somebodies, that we are saying, I don't want it to end with me. I want my legacy as a Christian to move on, to go on. And frankly, if I don't share, those people might not hear it from somebody else and could end up in hell when they die. It's a big deal. We're here to make disciples, and it's not necessarily a have to. It's a get to. You get to be part of the most important thing that you can ever be a part of on this earth, to make disciples. Five years ago or so, when Jeff came back from sabbatical and said, this is the vision of our church, this is what we're going to be all about, which is really the vision of any church and what all churches should be about, making disciples. I paused and said, how do you want me, Justin, to make disciples? What do you want to put in my heart, every one of us? are called to make disciples, but you might do it completely different than me. But if you're part of this student ministry, our vocabulary, our understanding of discipleship comes to us from Isaiah chapter 5. I asked the Lord, what is discipleship? How can we make disciples? And he led me to this passage in Isaiah chapter 5, and we have named it, hence, the Vineyard Initiative. I'm going to read you the descriptor that's online, because I wrote it, and it's awesome, and it's very clear. The Vineyard Initiative consists of seven action steps, not suggestions, action steps to help you, me, us discover who God is, who he created us to be. These steps have been taken from a parable in Isaiah chapter 5 entitled, The Song of the Lord's Vineyard. Each of the preceding chapters of this Old Testament book describe how God's people no longer recognized God's voice no longer recognized his care for them. And as a result, God's people no longer sought justice, and they no longer served others. Simply put, God's children forgot how much he loves them and how important it is to love him, to love ourselves, and to love each other. The parable of the vineyard serves as a timeless reminder, just as appropriate then as it is today, of how to return to the work and the wonder of a life lived for Christ, of how to rediscover or reinforce who God is, who he created you to be. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, say this. Now, I will sing for the one that I love a song about his vineyard. Now, my beloved, who is God, had a vineyard, which is the Christian life, which is us. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. Anything, everything you could ever hope to have in this life, God has provided, the rich and fertile hill of faith. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land. He cleared its stones, planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower. He carved a wine press in the nearby rocks, and then he waited for a harvest of sweet Grapes, everything you need to know about being a disciple is in those five or six lines. In this brief and beautiful passage, we witness the first time in Scripture that God refers to his people, us, as his vineyard. That's how he sees you, beautiful, lovely, fruit-producing vines in a vineyard. We also see the seven, seven simple, doable actions Required for the care and cultivation of the vineyard, the care and cultivation of our spiritual lives of our church. First, the gift of the vineyard, the gift of a free life completely free of sin and death, needs to be received. And that's what we talked about last week. If you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, you gotta be great at receiving. Not, oh, I don't really deserve. It. Like, thank you. I'll take that. We gotta learn how to receive. And then second, the second action of being a disciple is protect what you receive. You ever had a gift and then you just kind of set it down in the flurry of opening gifts and you lose it or it gets knocked over? You ever had something given to you that's precious but you don't put it in a safe place and your kid brother knocks it over or the dog eats it or whatever? You guys, the same thing is true in the spiritual life. God has given us gifts. He's given us the gift. And if we don't take care of it, it can get damaged, get stolen, stolen can not have an opportunity to take root in our hearts. God is a giver. He's given us salvation. He's given us life. He's got more to give you that you can not even thought of, can't even imagine yet. But when he gives, we got to receive and we got to protect. Maybe God's given you some things over the years and you've lost it. And I would challenge you. I don't know. But did you protect what he gave you? So last week, if you're a disciple, talked about receiving from God. You missed the sermon? Go listen to it. It's on iTunes and the website. This week, disciples protect what God gives. Yesterday, I went to see my mom and her husband out at the Burnt Biscuit Ranch. That's what they call it. Whatever. We're there at the Burnt Biscuit Ranch. We have breakfast and we're hanging out. And I knew that I'm going to be talking about this today. And my sermon was basically done. But I know when I go to the ranch that my stepfather, Leroy, likes to talk. And he loves to tell stories. And he loves to share And I was like, I wonder if Leroy's going to say something to me that I might have to rewrite my sermon. And he did. Thanks a lot, Leroy. Thought I was done working. Made me work on my day off. So Leroy and I are sitting at his computer, and they have a parcel of land south of San Antonio, 640 acres. It's been in his family for a long time, and it produces natural gas. So they make money on that land. That's how they afford to pay for their retirement and whatever. And um, these 640 acres, picture, please. So... There it is, the James P. Tresvant plot, 640 acres. The squiggly line is a river, and then they got that big, long rectangle of land. So that's their land, and on it there's wells, and the wells produce gas, and that's how they afford to live. So their neighbors on the right, next picture, this is this monster 8,500-acre tract of land where they also produce natural gas, but they also do hunting and all this stuff, and it's a big moneymaker, and obviously it's a monster neighbor. Well, they sent Leroy a letter in the mail, a signed letter that a a law firm produced with official binding language that said, hey, Mr. Manka, you have some land that was not appropriated properly, was not measured properly. It actually belongs to us. So we're going to need you to sign this letter and we're going to take that block of land down there that's overlapping. You think that's yours. It's actually ours. And they've got some paperwork to back it up. Leroy gets this letter and basically sign on the dotted line and you are basically kissing a big chunk of your retirement away because you only get a percentage of what comes out of the ground. So he's losing money. He's losing land. He's just losing. And you read this letter and it's like, well, this is true. This is fact. And I got to sign it. But Leroy is a smart guy. And Leroy knows his stuff. And Leroy knows his history. This piece of land has been in his family since the Alamo right? They've owned this forever. It's been in their family for generations, and he's got the paperwork to prove it. Next picture. So here's the general land office deed for this piece of land. If you look at the top right, you'll notice it's dated September twenty eighth, 1874. So he gets this letter, and they're like, hey, you got something that doesn't belong to you. And he's like, I don't think so. You're wrong. Basically, they're saying to him, we're taking this from you, But because Leroy knows, my father gave me this land. His father gave him this land. His father before him gave him this land. This is mine, and you can't have it. I've got the deed to prove it. I've got the map that marks out the boundaries. You're wrong. I don't care what you say. You guys, that's a glimpse into the spiritual life. All day, every day, your enemy, the devil, is wandering around saying to you, you have no right to this. This doesn't belong to you. You did something last year that you forfeited that, and he is walking around lying to you saying, this isn't yours. This morning, before the day is up, I challenge you to put your foot down and look at the enemy in the eye and say, this is mine. You don't get to steal from me anymore. God has given you gifts, and the enemy is robbing you blind. Stand up for what he has given you and say, no more. All right, how? How do we protect what God has given us? How do we protect what we've received? It's right there in Isaiah chapter 5. My beloved at a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill, receive the life God is giving to you. What did he do with it first? He plowed the land. That's an interesting word. It took me a long time to understand what it meant. But to plow the land in this instance is not to dig furrows and plant seed. That's later. To plow the land means you take your plot of land and you dig A trench or a moat around the entire width and breadth of the land. Everything that's yours, you dig a moat around it. And you are declaring, here's the boundary line. This is mine. And now that there's a moat here, I'm protected. I have a safety measure in place. God has given some of you in this room gifts. God has given you some of you in this room salvation. But you've never done anything to protect it. you've got a moat, you're safe. You're in there. You got a preliminary, very effective line of defense, and the moat in the spiritual life is a pre-decision that I will or will not allow this, this, or that into my life. That's what a moat is. You got a moat? Show me my picture of a moat, and there's the castle, and that's your life. That's what God has given you. That's where you get to live, and you got this one entry point now that you have that moat, stuff can't come up from behind you. Stuff can't come up from the sides. It can't even burrow underneath because you've got a moat that's protecting you. And only what you allow down that drawbridge is what comes into your life. So if you've taken the whole world and you've channeled it by establishing this moat, and this moat is predecisions of, I'm going to pre-decide. This is what I will allow and this is what I won't. And this is what I'll allow. This is what I won't. And all those predecisions you can find in this book. So, some of us are living without a moat. There's no boundaries in your life, and stuff is just flowing into your life through social media, through the internet, through the, it's a, it's a big word, interwet, internet, interweb. You know what I'm saying? Stuff's just coming at you 24 7, and it's just coming at you. Words are powerful. What you look at, what you listen to, what you say, it's coming into and from your heart. If you don't have a boundary protecting yourself, watch out what you're letting in to your life. So, we protect ourselves by establishing a boundary around our life, a boundary around what God has given us, a boundary that says, This is mine and I'm going to protect it. In fact, the very act of creating the mode is a protection. So, now what are we protecting ourselves from? What is trying to take from us? It's all through the Bible. But we're going to look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 through 12. I'm going to whip out my glasses because it's a good chunk of scripture. This is Revelation. This is the last book of the Bible. This is the end of the story. And the cool thing about this is what I'm about to read references the believers. And the believers being referenced in this this passage are you and I. We're the believers of the end times. You are literally on God's mind when he was penning this through John. We are in this story. Revelation chapter 12, 9 through 12, says this, I saw a large red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. And this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the entire world, was also thrown down to the earth with all of his evil angels. Then I heard a voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. He's been cast out of heaven. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they... Have defeated him. We have defeated the dragon and his army. How? By the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. For they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Do you love your life so much that you're afraid to die? It's a deep question. It's an essential question. You should ask yourself that question. How did they defeat him? By the blood of the lamb, by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice, but terror will come down to you in great anger. Nope, Mr. a line. Terror will come on the earth and in the sea, for the devil has come down to you in anger, knowing he has little time. The dragon is angry, and he has declared war against God's children, all who keep God's commandments, who maintain their testimony for Jesus. We have an enemy. He's got an army. They have been banished from heaven. They live on this planet. They are everywhere. Sometimes you see them. Most of the time you don't, and they have declared war on every single one of us. You have an enemy that has declared war on you. Do you know that? Pastor Justin, are you literally telling me that there's demons roaming around the earth that want to take me out? It's exactly what I'm saying. It's a fact. And how many are there? I don't know. We can't begin to know. Check it this out. How many stars were flung to the earth? A third, all right, a third of the stars. How many stars are in the sky? There are about 10 billion galaxies in the observable universe. The number of stars in a galaxy varies, but assuming an average of 100 billion stars per galaxy means that there are about sextillion stars in the observable universe. That's 21 zeros, people, in the observable universe. And from what the universe is, we only see this much. So a third of that, which is not even really the number, is how many creepy, crawly, dark, nasty, icky things that are cruising around this planet at any given time with assignments. Like, here's your homework, demon of fear. Here's your homework, demon of temptation, against Matt, against Jenny, against Frank. Go get them. Lots of them. But the encouraging thing is, we got Jesus on our side, and he's got two thirds of the angels still for him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 reinforces it with this watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Watch out for your enemy? No, your great enemy. Did you know you have an enemy that's a A great, like he is all about wiping you out. Watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I believe in the spiritual element of faith. And I believe this campus is saturated in the Holy Spirit, saturated in God's love. I believe that about you. But do you know, once you pass the threshold of this campus on a gosling, There is an army waiting to take you out. They're just hanging out right now, just waiting for you to drive over so they can leap on you and steal what you heard today, ruin the way God made you feel today. They're out there, the great enemy, the devil. He is out there pacing, waiting, looking to eat your lunch. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, most famous scripture on spiritual warfare in the Bible. You should read it if you haven't. You should read it if you have. Ephesians 6, 12, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Your enemy on this earth has never been nor will ever be people. We are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places, Four times, he's trying to stress, there are spiritual elements at work. You cannot see them because they're spirit, but they are out there, they are authoritative, they are powerful, and they are against every good thing you will ever desire to do with your life. The battle is real. You need protection. Should we be afraid? A third of the stars, a great dragon with too many heads. Should we be afraid? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It was right there in Revelation. We have defeated him by the blood of the cross, by the blood of the lamb, by the fact that Jesus came and stood in our place, took the punishment, died, rose again. They have defeated him by the blood of the lamb. But that's not all. It says they also defeated him by their testimony. They also defeated him because they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. We need to receive Jesus. But then we need to testify. We need to obey. We need to walk out our faith. We need to not just say, I'm a Christian, but live it. And woe to us who say I'm a Christian and set the worst example. I hate when people come into this church and a week or three weeks in, they're like, the guys in here are horrible. They're worse than the people are left woe to us who call ourselves Christians and walk through life thinking we can do whatever we want. Oh, grace card. No. We need to walk it out. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters how you live your life. But we don't need to be afraid of the enemy. We don't need to be afraid of condemnation. If we receive Jesus, if we do what he says. You receive Jesus. You pray the prayer. I believe that there is a Savior. I believe that God was made man and lived on this earth and died on the cross to set me free from sin. I believe the Bible when it says He was resurrected. I believe it. I don't understand it. You don't have to understand it, but I believe it. You are saved. You are good. You're going to heaven. You're in. But you want to grow in your faith? You need more than grace. You need obedience. You want to mature in your walk? You need to obey what this book. Calls you to do. And again, not because you have to. You get to. You get to. We have an enemy. So, how do we protect ourselves? We're going to camp out in Ephesians 6 for a few minutes. I'm going to read what I read again and then get to the new stuff, get to the good stuff. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, mighty powers in this dark world evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, because there's a battle coming, and you're probably in a battle right now, then, after the battle, you'll be able to stand firm. So stand your ground, putting on what? Right? There's armor. He's saying it can help you stand firm, help you survive the battle. I want to know what the armor is. I need to know what the armor is. I want to wear the armor right now. What's the armor? Put on the belt of truth. So there's a belt involved. Put on the breastplate, the body armor of God's righteousness. There's a breastplate. There's some body armor, full on like metal, whatever, like something to protect my chest. I want that too. For shoes, put on the piece that comes from the good news. So there's some shoes. I want those too. Take out somebody's foot, they're helpless, they're done. I need those shoes. Magic shoes. All right. Put on the shoes that come from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to these, hold up the shield of faith. There's a shield. I desperately need the shield. I am Dying for lack of a shield when the enemy's throwing and shooting his arrows at me. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. There's a helmet. I need that. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's our armor, right? Five pieces of protection and one offensive weapon, which is to be used to protect. Now, there are people... And I've been one of them in the past that will simply and outright believing pray, and I believe it, and I think it's awesome, but they will just, some guys, before they even leave the house in the morning, I put on the helmet of salvation, I put on the breastplate of righteousness, I put on the belt of truth, and they pray their way through that. And hey, the Bible says, whatever you pray and believe, so it shall be. So I think that's awesome and beautiful and great. But the Bible, there's so much going on in here, and I think that's awesome But I think that's just the first part. I look at this passage not as a list of nouns, a list of things. I look at it for the verbs. I look at it for the action. We're supposed to put scripture into action. So I look at this and I wonder, if I look at these nouns for their verb quality, what might this armor look like? Put on the belt of truth. How could that be a verb? How could that be an action for you and me? Tell the truth. Tell the truth. You got spirits on this planet that are specifically assigned to get you to lie, to make you feel horrible for lying. Their job is to whisper lies in your ear that sound like the truth. And then you repeat them, and what does that make you? A liar. And how do you feel after you lie? Bad. Bad. Thank you, Nikki. You are awesome. You feel horrible, and you're always looking over your shoulder, wondering, when am I going to get caught for that lie? Brooke told a lie to her family when she was 13, 14 years old. She just got called out like two years ago, no, right? Confessed. You confessed? And then she got in trouble it was at dinner. Still time. got in trouble. That's my point. There what are you doing back there in the there shadows? In the shadows? <laughs> Come into the light, Brooke Bear. All right. Brooke lied to her folks and confessed, but it was years later, and they were just like, And then they totally chastise her for the rest of the meal. It was awesome for me to watch. But the point is, you might escape a lie. You might lie and not get in trouble for a day or a week or a decade, but they will catch up to you. God hates lies, they they distort, they corrupt. Don't be a liar. How do you feel when you lie? You feel shame, you feel guilty, you feel fear. That is not just you. That's a spiritual thing that's walking around that you gave permission to make you feel horrible because you lied. And now the spirit that's standing there accusing you before the Lord saying, you just lied, can I mess with him? And God is like, all right. But all you gotta do is repent, confess, ask Jesus to help you, and you're good. But we don't. We tell another lie, and we tell another lie. You wanna put on the belt of truth? You wanna protect yourself from guilt and shame when it comes to lies? Just tell the truth. Decide tomorrow when you wake up in the morning, I'm going to tell the truth today. I'm going to tell the truth about everything. And listen to me. I know you guys. Some of you better than others, but I know you. And there are people in this room right now, you're a liar. You lie. You fib. You exaggerate. You gossip. You flatter to get what you want. So do I. Stop. You are given the enemy permission to mess with you, to hurt you. Stop. Stop. Tell the truth. It's way easier than you think. It is way more of a blessing than you think. It is way more empowering than you think. Tell the truth. The body armor of righteousness. How can we turn that into a verb? Just do the right thing, man. You know the right thing. Even unbelievers have a conscience from the Lord that says right and wrong. And if you're walking up on a decision and you're like, I know this is wrong and stepping in that direction, what happens? You hurt yourself. You hurt somebody else. And you're given permission to the enemy to mess with you about that mistake forever. Some of you are in this room, prayed the sinner's prayer, have been saved all your life, but don't believe it because you did this thing that you were tempted to do and the enemy. You gave him permission to tell you, to whisper to you, maybe even be reminding you right this minute, remember what you did? I remember what you did. You're not saved. He can't use you. You're garbage. If anybody knew what you had done, that's a lie. You can confess. You can repent. You can say I'm sorry. You can receive forgiveness and grace, but protect it because the enemy's going to try and snatch it back from you. But you can do better than that. Just decide when you wake up tomorrow, right now, today, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to test this for a week. I'm not going to lie, and I'm going to do the right thing. See how it works out for you. It is not gonna work out for your harm. It's gonna work out for your good. It's gonna protect you. It's gonna start digging that moat. Pre decide. Truth teller. Right doer. Put on the shoes of peace of the good news. What does that mean? How is that a verb? Man, share Jesus with people. Pray for people. Talk about what you hear at church. Talk about what you read in the Bible. Share the good news that people don't have to be slaves to their sin, to fear to etc. Share with your friend that is freaking out. Man, my pastor talked today about whatever you need to you need to come to church. Share Jesus with people. If you don't, how does that make you feel? You start to grow indifferent. You start to not care that people are hurting around you. You start and I start to resemble a lot the people in Isaiah 5 that just didn't seek justice. That didn't care. They're like that's somebody else's problem. It's our problem. We're the light of the world. We're the church. Tell the truth. Do the right thing. Share Jesus with people. There are people in your life, and you're like, somebody else will share Jesus. No. God put that person in your life so you could share Jesus with them. Share Jesus. Take up the shield of faith. How is that a verb? Just live by faith. Read the Bible and believe it when it says, if you don't gossip, things are going to go well for you. And then just don't gossip. Just live by faith. Live by faith when the Bible says, don't take revenge. Don't take revenge. See how that works out. Live by faith when the Bible says, forgive. Stop holding that grudge. It's like you drinking poison and hoping they die. Stop drinking that poison. Forgive. See how that works out. Live by faith. And you will protect yourself from busyness. Spirits of busyness, they exist. They're out there. You gotta keep doing it, you gotta keep doing it. Who wrestles with just feeling like you gotta do and do and do all day long? Who feels like they gotta earn every good thing that they receive? That's a lie from the from the pit of hell. God's a giver. He will give to you. I don't have a college degree, I don't have a a seminary degree, I got no right to be up here. But God said, You're my guy, you're up there. And he made it happen. I don't even feel, I used to not feel that I deserve to be up here, but Jesus said, You're my guy. And he's saying that to you. You're my girl. You're my guy. and Just walk it out. Just believe what the Bible says. Shield of faith protects against self-reliance. Shield of faith protects against worry. Who has a problem worrying? I do. Take up the shield of faith. Walk out your faith. Do what you say. Put on the helmet of salvation. We've already touched on this. What does that mean? Just believe You prayed the prayer. Just believe you're saved. This is the enemy's number one area. You're not saved. I prayed the prayer. You're not saved. But Jesus loves me. You're not saved. He died on the cross. You're not saved. That's what he is saying to you. That is his goal to convince you that what Jesus says doesn't count. Put on the helmet of salvation. And then you don't have to be afraid of anything. If you're saved, you don't have to be afraid of dying. Because you're going to heaven. You're going somewhere better. You don't have to worry about comparing yourself to other people because you'll know, I'm saved. I'm in the arms of Jesus. It's not about me versus them. Hold up the sword of the Spirit. What does that mean? How can that be in action? You guys, read your Bibles. If this is the only time that you hear Scripture in your week, you are hurting yourself. You are robbing yourself. Read your Bibles. It's the most common I will statement in this room, in the church, and the most neglected. It's easy to say, I need to read my Bible. I'm going to read my Bible more. And then just open it and read it. It'll bless you. It'll change you. It'll transform you. He will say things to you in your personal scripture reading that are so personal and so perfect for what you're going through. You won't be able to wait to tell somebody about it, to share the good news. If we want to protect ourselves, if you want to dig that moat around your life and the gift that God has given you, if you want to set a boundary line, become a truth teller. I don't know if you need to do all these things or one or two, but everyone in this room can improve in these areas, and some of you are dying to improve. You want to protect yourself? Tell the truth. Do the right thing. Share Jesus with people you know. Live by faith. Believe what this book says. Be intentional to read what this book says. You will, just by doing those simple things, dig a trench around your life that the enemy will just fall into and drown in. And you will have that drawbridge, that one gate, where you will decide, because you've been given the power to decide, what you allow in and what you don't. What's the main thing from keeping us from growing in our faith? It's not faith. It's not a faith problem. We're lazy. Scripture says, a person without self-control, without Self-correction, without self-discipline, is like a city with broken down walls. If we don't get serious about this, he's just going to keep stealing from us. He's just going to keep robbing us because we're like cities with broken down walls. Stand up, make a decision, grow, protect yourself. I had no self-control. I had not taken my faith seriously for years when I was drinking. I was a Christian and I was still drinking every day. I'd been drinking for years. I was a decade-long alcoholic. You should know this about me if you're here on a regular basis. I could not make it through a day without drinking at the end of the day. And not one, but like a case every day. And as a result of me continually saying yes to sin and no to Jesus, I had allowed stuff in my life. I was overcome by temptation what's your thing? I'm going to tell you a story real quick, but right now, what's your thing you can't say no to? What's your thing you can't resist? There's more going on than just you being a weak person or you being lazy. There's a spiritual element. I could not say no to drinking, and I started praying because I was saved, even though I had a hard time believing it. Jesus, I, I can't stop. I don't get it. I wake up in the morning, and I'm like, I'm not going to drink. I tell myself at lunch, I'm not going to drink. And at night, I'm just like an autopilot going to drink. I can't stop. I have no power. And I'm praying, and I'm like, Jesus, what's going on? Help me. Why can't I stop? I'm laying in my bed one night. This is my head. These are my feet. I'm laying in bed one night, and I'm sleeping after I prayed that prayer. I have a nightmare. It is the worst nightmare of my life since... And now, it's the worst thing I'd ever experienced in dreamland. And in my dream, I was in the exact setting that I was actually in. I was in my bed, I was laying there, and I was sleeping. And at the foot of my bed was this black, shapeless, hulking mass, and it was emanating hatred and death at me. And I was mortified. I was horrified. And the next thing I know, I had woken up. I was awake. But my eyes were still closed, and I don't care what any of you will ever say to me. I don't care what anybody ever says to me telling this story. Whatever that was in my dream was still there. There was actually physically a presence in my room, black, shapeless, evil, hulking mass, emanating death and murder and hatred at me. And I'm a grown man in this story, and I would not open my eyes. I was so horrified. Of what I would see, and I know I would have seen something. I would have freaked out. I would have left out my window to get away from it. I was so scared. And I laid there, and I felt that thing just encroaching and just coming at me, and I was like, I believed with all that I was. I'm going to die in my bed this night. That's how real that moment was. But I'm a believer in this story. I'm a believer at this moment in my life, and I'm like, Jesus, you, like, help me. There's something dark and twisty coming up. Jesus can help me. And in my heart of hearts in that moment, I knew all I needed to do, I just needed to say Jesus's name. The name that causes every knee to bow. The name that is more powerful, more profound than any name. And I'm laying there, and I'm like, I got to start saying the name of Jesus. I'm thinking it, but I try to open my mouth, and I cannot open my mouth. I'm laying there, grown man, fully like, I got control of myself. I got no control over myself. I can't even say the name of Jesus. And the thing is getting closer. And I'm getting desperate. And my whole being zeroes in and focuses on Jesus. And I finally get out a whisper. Jesus. 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 Jesus! That's how loud I screamed. My neighbors the next day said, did you hear somebody screaming last night? And I'm like, no. (laughs) I screamed the name of Jesus with every ounce of myself over and over in that empty room, in that empty house. I screamed it like my life depended on it. And you guys, it did. And yours does. I screamed the name of Jesus because I knew I needed a Savior and nothing could save me except for him. And after I screamed it about the second time, whatever that thing was, just (laughs) gone. Just gone. And then I opened my eyes like this, like, you know, and it was gone. And then I went to the bathroom, <laughs> and then I went back to bed, and I fell asleep. I woke up the next day, and I thought about what I'd been praying for days. Show me why I can't stop drinking. In that moment, in time, as horrible, as scary, as life-threatening as it was, I knew what God had done that for me that night. He had shown me. He had pulled back the spiritual veil And said, you want to know why you can't stop drinking? Because you got a demon of alcoholism that has been following you for 10 years. And every time you drink, you're just giving it more power. I give you power and you give it to him. You want to know why you're losing the battle? Because you have an enemy. And so I got dead serious about praying and not just doing through my problem after that. And it wasn't too long later that God totally, completely delivered me from alcoholism. But he needed me to see. This is what you have invited into your life. And you can't just like, I'm just going to not drink anymore. Like, you got to do some spiritual work. So I ask you again, students, what's that thing that you just can't get away from, that you can't stop, that you have no control over? I would challenge you. I'm not looking to scare you. I want you to know you may very well have something following you around. That you've been given authority to over and over. Don't raise your hands, but my God, how many of you have a problem with pornography? I, 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 know, I know how hard it is for you. There are spirits that are just throwing crap and images at you. You have invited it, but you can be set free. You can use the name of Jesus the way it was meant to be used. No more. Jesus, help me. I need a savior. I'm going to give you a picture of what's happening. I'm going to give you a visual of the authority that you have right now, imperfect and broken as you are, how you should be crying out to the Lord. Check this out. Serpent of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Arnold. The dark fire will not avail you. Flame of Noon. Go back to the shadow! To just watch the movie now. Right? Yeah. We're, we're out of time. I got to wrap this up. Pay attention to me. I love showing you guys visuals. You're creative beings. You got an imagination. Use it. Remember what you saw. But I love the dialogue even more. It's hard to make out. I'm going to reread it to you. He starts off by saying, head for the bridge. You guys, there's something chasing you right now. It is not in here because this is safe. If you've got Jesus in your heart, this is safe. But he is waiting for you at the property line. He is waiting for you at your house. There is something after you. And I, I'm looking at some of your eyes and you're like, yes, there is. Yes, there is something after me. And Gandalf to his friends, head for the bridge. You guys, as your pastor, I am begging you this morning. Not because I benefit. For you, I am begging you. Head for Jesus. My God, students, run for the cross. It is right on your heels. It is overpowering you. Run for Jesus. And they, they kind of like scurry. They don't know what's coming. And he says, fly, you fools. You guys, don't wait until tonight. Don't wait until tomorrow. Run for Jesus now. Run to the cross. Embrace it. Wrap your body around it before you walk out of this room. So help me, you will leave here if you don't make this decision and the enemy's going to snatch any sort of conviction you might have received this morning if you don't just give all of yourself to the Lord before you walk out of this room. I am the wielder of the secret fire. How perfect. You and I are wielders of the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 90 seconds or 90 years, you got the spirit of God in you. And you can stand firm in front of anything and say Jesus and not be afraid and not have any reason to, to doubt. But you got to believe. you got to use that name. When you speak the name of Jesus, things happen. It's documented in FBI files. You talk to Jamie Winship. When people speak the name of Jesus Christ... In terrorist situations, in robbery situations, in violent situations, you say the name of Jesus and things change. The mortality rate goes down. People lay down their arms. The name of Jesus is power. Use it. You may walk out of here today and be like, that guy was so loud. He's just yelling. Didn't know what he was talking about. When your moment comes, when that black mass is at your bedside, today, Ten years from now, I implore you, remember this. I'm speaking to your mind and your heart. Even if you're ignoring me right now, yell the name of Jesus. Cry out for Jesus. He will, he will be there for you in a heartbeat. He will rescue you the way he rescued me. Use the name of Jesus. I love that clip for the last two sentences. You shall not pass. What have you been allowing free access into your life that you know you need to declare before you leave this room, you shall not come in here anymore. You shall not have access to me anymore. I will change my behavior and stop giving you permission to ruin my life and to steal from me. Bow your heads. I'm going to pray our way through the response. I don't know what you need to address with Jesus this morning. But I'm going to list some things, and if it's not on the list, that's fine, but do some business between you and the Lord now. Where do you need to say, you shall not pass? What do you need to say Jesus to this morning? Is it a bad habit? Is it a toxic habit? friendship, or relationship? Every time you're with that person, either they're leading you to things you regret or you're leading them. Do you have a problem telling the truth? Do you just walk by the opportunity to do the right thing? you just refuse to share Jesus with the people you love? Are you just failing to read the Bible? Do you not even know if you're saved? Talk to Jesus about it. If you ask him for strength right now, he will give it to you. If you tell him you're sorry for the way you've been living and that you want to change, but you don't know how, he will help you right now. If there is something lurking at home around your heart, use the name of Jesus. Ask for protection, ask for space, ask for God to send those two thirds of the stars. Down to surround you, to surround your bedroom, to surround your car, and say, Jesus, I need some grace. I need an army. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. He will assign you a fresh protectors that you got to ask. Jesus, using your authority that you have given to me as a believer. In the name of Christ, I pray right now with all authority, protect every student in this ministry. Protect our minds. Protect our hearts. Please, for the love of God, help us obey your word. Help us build that moat. Help us protect ourselves. Establish boundaries. Say, this this is mine. God gave me this, and I'm going to stop giving it away. I'm going to stop letting the enemy just walk in and take Protect us, help us, encourage us, open our eyes. We are in a spiritual war. Open our eyes to the reality of that and give us a fearlessness, a boldness, that we have already received all we need to fight and fight well. May we use your armor, may we use your name. We got communion, you can come and just say thank you to Jesus for the sacrifice he made for you. We got our tithes and offerings, you can come and say, Jesus, you're more important to me than anything that I have. And we have worship, you can declare the lyrics of this last song over your life, over your heart. But just before you leave this room, I don't care if it's words, audible or silent, or just you and your imagination. Wrap yourself up around Jesus, around the cross, and say, I am not letting go. Not today, not ever again. Jesus, bless our response. Use our response to transform us. Today, may we not walk out of here the same that we walked in. It's in your powerful, life-changing name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You guys respond as you feel led. Thanks for listening to the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. Please feel free to share copies of this podcast, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information, please visit woodsedge.org or find us on Facebook under Woods Edge Students.